Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Nathan has been preaching through the Gospel of Luke and has set me up well um, today, kind of giving me a softball uh, because of the topic of last week where uh, in the past several weeks, I'm talking about Christ's resurrection and the power of that resurrection. And Nathan has said over and over again that it changes everything. When we come to understand Christ's resurrection and trust in his final work in it, it changes absolutely everything. Um, and so what, what we're starting to talk about now for four weeks is we're working through South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church, its mission and its strategies. Um, The mission statement is the topic of the sermon this morning, and it is knowing Christ and making Christ known. And from it, it leads in these strategies that um, the strategies back up and flow into the mission statement, and those are biblical worship, authentic community, and outward-facing mission. Um, uh, one of my favorite places in the world is a place where I used to go backpacking called Shining Rock Wilderness. And when we go on these backpacking trips, you climb up to the very top of this ridge, and it's just this beautiful saddle, uh, sunrise on one side, sunset on the other when you wake up and go to sleep. And you had to walk about a half mile to, to get water from a very small spring. And it always amazed me. This is a spring that sometimes you'd have to cup a, a leaf in to be able to get it into your water bottle. It's so small. But when you hike out the next day, we would come out on this raging river. And if you could just go vertically from the top of that ridge down to the, the raging river, it was probably only uh, less than a mile. But to think that what starts as a spring ends in this raging torrent absolutely still baffles me today of how much water can actually be contained within um, these mountains. And that's what knowing Christ does in and through his people to see change in the world. It seems like such a small spring, but what God does in and through his people becomes a raging torrent of of, of the love of Christ flowing through his people um, with his gospel message. So the passage that we're going to be looking at today, um, I think is actually a really good um, picture of what it looks like for the power of the gospel, knowing Christ, um, to lead into making Christ known. So our text today is from 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 1. I hear God's word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. 
and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Uh, Father, we do come to you this morning to ask that you would attend to your word and to our hearts. Your word to speak truth that sometimes our hearts don't want to believe and without you would never believe. And so we need you. We need you to come to speak to us to change our hearts, to show us the power of the gospel, to transform our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The outline is simple. It is our mission statement. Our mission statement, if you've downloaded the PDF for the worship service or if you go onto our website, is front and center. It is knowing Christ and making Christ known, and that's our outline. We're going to talk first about knowing Christ and secondly, making Christ known. So first, knowing Christ. We come to know Christ through what is called the gospel. Gospel is good news, and it's good news of rescue. In verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 1, we read, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. It's a rescue. It, what it's saying, in essence, is that we are a fallen creature. We are fallen human beings, and we're in a desperate condition where we sought our autonomy away from our creator, away from our sustainer, away from the one who loved us well, and we ran the other direction, and that deserves a justice. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom and his caring love, has pursued us to rescue us. So Jesus is the deliverer from the wrath to come, that we might come into his presence without the wrath coming upon us. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4, Paul says again, deliver us from the present evil age, that Jesus has come to deliver us from an age of unbelief, from an age, a system of unbelief, a system of trusting in other things in this world rather than the one who has come to rescue us. How did he do this? Uh, Galatians 1.4 says he gave himself. Thessalonians verse 10 says, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus came as God gave Jesus. Jesus gave himself, died for our sins, died to rescue us, and God raised him from the dead. Uh, through that power, he has rescued us. And we learn in verse 5, the gospel comes to them in great, and the word that is used here is great power. Uh, the, the Greek word there is dunamai. It's where we get the word dynamite. If you've uh, ever driven down a highway or an interstate in some hills and in a place where they have had to um, dig out the hill at the top to make it 
um, easier to pass through. Sometimes you'll go through and there'll be rock cliffs on the sides. And if you notice on those rock cliffs, some of them will have these vertical lines, vertical and parallel lines going through um, uh, the rock cliffs. That's where they have used dynamite to um, blow the rock up. And what it does is it changes the landscape for the safe travel. So too, the power of the gospel changes our landscape, changes it completely. In Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silvanus or Silas uh, and Timothy go to visit Thessalonica. God had called them to the area of Macedonia. They had been to Philippi. Now they've moved on to Thessalonica. And what they found there were uh, Jewish people who were worshiping in the synagogue, and they also found uh, Greeks there uh, who were worshiping their their pagan idols. Um, And Paul visited the synagogue three Sabbaths in a row, explaining to the Jewish people all the Old Testament uh, pictures of Jesus and the sacrificial system and the priesthood and how Jesus fulfilled all those things, that as a rescuer, he came uh, to fulfill everything that the Old Testament promised. And we're told in, in that chapter in Acts that some Jews and Greeks and women were persuaded uh, by the words of Paul. But the gospel is a power and persuasion is more than just assenting to a set of truths. It's not something that we, we pick and choose like a favorite sports team. I remember when I was younger, I chose the Atlanta Falcons to root for because I liked their uniforms. I liked their helmets. Um, but the power of the gospel is not like picking and choosing. It is a dynamic that changes us completely by removing our idols from our hearts. And that's evidence of true gospel trust. Well, how does the the power, how do we see idols removed from our hearts? Well, the Jewish idol was this religious system that they had grown up with, observance of traditions and, and laws, and they trusted in that morality of keeping those observances and laws as their way, their entrance to God. Uh, The Greek idol sometimes was a household idol, a literal idol that they would put on their mantle, but it represented a god or goddess in whom they would trust as their protection and their provision for them. What is our idol? An idol in general, we could give it this kind of definition, is anything and anyone we feel we can't live without. That sort of opens up a whole world of idolatry, doesn't it, when we think about that. Uh, Anything and anyone that we feel that we can't live without. And that could be be, be something that kind of defines our life in general, or it could be something uh, in an hourly or daily thing. Like if I feel like I've got to be at work on time and the traffic is bad, my timeliness can become an idol to me. Uh, Think about this. As Paul goes into um, Thessalonica and he has these Jews with their traditional system and their their, uh, lineage, and then you have the, the Greeks worshiping their pagan gods, 
These were the same people that worked together to crucify Jesus. Why did they crucify Jesus? The, the Jews sent Jesus to the Roman governor, Pilate, to be crucified because Jesus was a threat to their idols. To the Romans, he was a threat to Caesar. To the Jews, he was a threat to their, to their system. And so, because Jesus poked their idol, they became angry to the point of crucifying him. What reveals our particular idols? Ask these questions, and these help reveal where or for what we give our time and energy. Where do we spend our most time and our most energy, that can reveal our idol to us. Where are the majority of our resources going? Where do we spend our money? Some say if you want to know what you worship, look at your checkbook. Uh, that often shows what our idol is. Uh, another one, I think this is a great question and a hard question uh, that really reveals idols, is what makes me angry when it's threatened? It could be anything from our leisure time, if that's threatened. Do we get angry? Uh, It could be a stock market drop. Does that cause us great anxiousness and worry? That could be our idol. Is it our health? Is it our our business and the way um, our business is going? Is it our spouse? Is it our children? Uh, What is it that makes me angry, worried, anxious, fearful, bitter, when it's threatened. And there is nothing quite like a pandemic to reveal our idols to us. So knowing Christ is trusting his rescue from our idols and turning from those to trust him. But often what we do is we use ineffective ways of turning from our idols to trust Christ. And we think that um, that, that possibly if we have enough resolve, we can do it. We, we say things like, I'll do better tomorrow. And in essence, with resolve, we're saying that Christ's perfect life and righteousness wasn't enough. I can fill in the gaps with trying harder, with working harder. Resolve can't take care of our idols. Another thing that we might use is is penance. I'll give up something. I'll punish myself. It's voluntary self-punishment, which in essence says Christ's death wasn't enough. His punishment on the cross on my behalf wasn't enough. I must, must punish myself. Or another thing we use is we let the weight of guilt weigh on us, we feel like the weight of guilt is a, is a punishment to us, that if I carry enough shame, maybe that's enough, which basically says Christ's forgiveness isn't full. So we think, I'll be better tomorrow, I'll give something up, I'll carry the shame, but notice in all three of those ineffective ways of turning from our idols is the centricity of me, I'll do it. But we have no power to change our hearts. We have no power to destroy our idols. The only effective way is to have a new love, a new heart, a new power. Verse 10 tells us that they were waiting for the Son. 
I think that's a great way to show where their trust is. Let me uh, read that verse again. It says, beginning at verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. See, the Thessalonians recognized that they were waiting on the sun to return, that they were trusting. It shows where their hearts were, that they had turned from their idols and in all the stuff of life that was affecting them, that that's where they needed to be, trusting in Christ for them. How does idolatry work? Um, several years ago, I had this uh, calling that I thought I was being called towards um, it was sort of a dream job. It was in a small college town in the mountains. I wanted to start a campus ministry on that campus, and um, I was a shoe-in, so I thought. Up to this point in my life, I don't think I'd ever been turned down for anything. I don't think anybody had ever said no to me, and so I had this expectation that I was, uh, I was a candidate for this position, I had the director of the ministry and the regional director, uh, the national director, the regional director, putting me forward as the perfect candidate for this job. And I'll never forget, I got a phone call, and uh, uh, the person who was on the committee that was um, hiring said, hey, Corey, we loved your sermon that we listened to. Just want to let you know that you're not the guy for the job. And I laughed. I was so convinced, so convinced that God was calling me to this place that I laughed. I couldn't receive the news. Then when it finally sunk in that I didn't have the job, my heart turned and went to anger and bitterness. And I held on to that bitterness for years. I kept that idol. I kept it on my shelf. I cleaned it. I brushed it. I kept the dust off of it. I looked at it. I worshipped it. The bitterness stayed in my heart until in God in his graciousness did not cast me off. He led me different directions and slowly began to show me his kindness and his provision for me so that I could look back and realize that that had been an idol to me. And he was wanting to be the apple of my eye. He was wanting to be the center of my attention. So years later, when I got turned down for another position, I quickly was able to go and realize that God was protecting me, he was providing for me, and that it was a good thing. We are very slow to change, but God is kind to be patient with us and long-suffering towards us as we turn from our idols. The Thessalonians, uh, the Thessalonian believers died to their idols to serve the living God at great cost, but it meant new life to them. Again, Acts chapter 17 tells us that um, the Jews who weren't convinced that Jesus was the Christ formed a mob and they ran Paul out of town. Paul goes to Berea. They're so mad, they're so bitter that they send a delegation to pursue Paul in a whole different town. You see, if you poke an idol, anger erupts. But if we return from our idols, something beautiful can happen as we find Christ. 
To know Christ changes everything. It removes those idols from our hearts. He rescues us from ourselves. But then also, he turns our hearts that we might make Christ known. Making Christ known. Verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. It says that Paul knows God has chosen the Thessalonians. How can that be? How can Paul say God chose you? Is that, that's in the secret counsel of God. How can he know that they're chosen of God? Well, resolve, penance, and guilt will not reveal lasting fruit. A person trusting resolve and penance and guilt is a very difficult person to be around. They're going to be agitated. They're going to be irritated. They're going to be angry and bitter people, and it's going to to produce fruit. But true fruit is revealed probably most evidently through suffering. Why? Suffering pokes our idols. Suffering threatens the things for which we live. Look at verse 6. He says, you received the word in much affliction. They had affliction. They had trial. They had turmoil coming at them, and yet they received the good news. They received the gospel of grace in affliction. And because their faith was in Christ and not their false hopes and idols, the word received was the passage tells us, sounded forth. It broke forth. Verse 8, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, even in affliction. It reveals that their faith is now in Christ. Christ is being made known. How is he being made known? Simply by responding to their afflictions by faith in him, waiting on him, knowing that he is their Lord and their Savior and their friend. If our eyes are on our idols, what is revealed is what is revealed by the rest of the world. It's going to be anxiety. It's going to be anger. It's going to be jealousy. It's going to be worry. It's going to be, be bitterness. If our eyes are waiting for Jesus, what is revealed is a work of faith, a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope. Verse 3, that's what Paul sees in them, this work of faith, this labor of love, that in the midst of affliction, they're still able to move forward and trust steadfastness of hope, faith, hope, and love. Knowing Christ and making Christ known cannot be separated. If we know Christ that he will make himself known through us. Let me wrap this up in conclusion. If we know Christ through the power of his death and resurrection, think how he will be made known through us. Think of the, the, the echo of the gospel into your families and into your workplace and into your neighborhood and into your city and into the world. If we know Christ through the power of his death and resurrection... The reality is believers in Jesus still functionally serve idols. I explained my idol um, a little bit earlier. We know Christ, and we get to learn to trust him more. And we're constantly in process of having our idols exposed 
and having Christ to cover our idols. We make known Christ through both faith and our failures. You see, biblical worship, one of the strategies of South Baton Rouge prayers, points us to Jesus over and over again to show him what it means to know Christ and to be found in him, to have our sins covered, to have the righteousness of Christ Rather defining us rather than our sin. We're hearing that again and again and again. Authentic community, another strategy of the church, is being honest about our idols, being able to say, hey, we're still struggling, we're still growing. We're very much like the world around us. We have the same trials, we have the same struggles. We're authentic in that. We're able to forgive and to receive uh, a rebuke from other people because we know our frailty. We know that we need Christ, and we know that we still functionally act according to our idols. And then the third strategy of outward-facing mission shows our faith in Jesus, that though we have our idols, that though we fail, Christ keeps turning our hearts back again and again and again, and finding him as our great provision and our great promise on our behalf, that we're not cast off, that he loves us. And that new love that we find in Jesus compels us to keep moving forward, to keep waiting on Jesus' return. We know that this is not our home, that we, are, are, we get to be here and we get to celebrate life with the image of God in all people, and that we're being weaned off the idols of this world. Because we have a world waiting for us, a hope that all things will be made new, that tears will be wiped away, that sin will be no more. And in the meantime, we get to live by faith in Christ and his message of rescue gets to sound forth to the world around us. And we get to be great. We get to be participants in that great work of God on our behalf and the rescue of others. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we give you thanks for this rescue of knowing Christ and the great participation of making Christ known. Father, would you plant this reality deep in our hearts? Would you convince us and encourage us and that we might see the need for the ministry of the church and the ministry of our own hearts to reveal our idols to us that we might quickly turn away from them and turn to the living God to show forth faith that you have given to us. Thank you for Jesus. Change us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.